Hello, everybody. It's David Flynn here with Thinking Beyond, conversations with strategic thinkers. Once again, I'm here with my partner in crime, Joan Quintana. Howdy, Joan. Howdy, Dr. David Flint. How are you? I'm doing fine. Always have to slip the doctor in there, don't you? And our producer is here, Will Walker. Howdy, Will. Good afternoon. How you doing, Will? Doing well. Good. Okay, we're ready to go. We've got a, a good podcast today. This podcast is a special one for me. This is Christine Hollanden. She's kind of responsible for the book, Thinking Beyond Value, at least in terms of getting it started and making sure that it happened. Yeah, Christine's great. And I think one of the things that I want to make sure our listeners are keyed into with her in particular is one, she's a phenomenal entrepreneur. She's got that entrepreneurial spirit and energy and enthusiasm and just determination, independent spirit. But also she really took in the V-Roll framework and she took it to heart with your guidance and realize some things that I'm pretty sure aren't unique to Christine Hollanden. And I think it'll be good for our audience to, especially our entrepreneurs out there, to have a listen and see if anything sounds familiar. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Let's get started. Okay, here comes Christine. Well, howdy. <laughs> howdy! <laughs> yeah, we got to do the Aggie howdy since we're both Aggies. All right. Well, we're here today to talk with you, Christine, about Hollanden, your marketing and strategy company down there in Houston, and to talk about a little bit of V-Real. But I have to start, and I warned you that I had to start with this, I have to start by letting you tell about how you're kind of responsible for the book being released on March 27th, 2018. Think Beyond Value, Building Strategy to Win. Uh, it's kind of your fault. So you get to tell that story. Yes, I, I'm to blame. It's my fault. And, you know, we've known each other for a long quite time. a number yeah. of years. Yeah, like eight or nine years, something like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you're still talking to me, which is wonderful. <laughs> and, you know, we had gotten to know each other through the entrepreneurial environment here at Texas A&M and through the Mays Business School and all of those things. And and yes, um, you've been teaching my classes for me from time to time. Yes. yes. <laughs> Talking to your students who are just sponges ready to absorb crazy things that people come in to say and stories. And, and then if you remember one day where I was here on campus giving a presentation to a group and doing some a workshop for a group on campus, and I said, I'm going to be on campus, let's catch up. And we hadn't spoken in a long time, and so we were able to sit down and just kind of house everything going, what's been happening, and talk about the uh, my company and what you're up to. And even though we had known each other for several years, that was really the first time where we had some uninterrupted time that I remember where we could just chat about other things that we didn't normally talk about mm -hmm. in our conversations because usually we had something very specific yeah. to talk about, whatever was at hand or whatever project was happening or event that was happening. And we had to, uh, we were, had a specific agenda in mind. And it was really the first time, even though I'd known you for several years, that I said, tell me about your research. Do you do research? And if so, what kind of research do you do? What's your area of interest? I know what you teach, but I really don't know what your research area is in, where your interest in that area lies. 
And that's when you first started telling me about the V-Real and competitive cohorts. And I remember that conversation really well, too. It was, I think, as you said, the first time that we had ever just talked about, you know, kind of what you're doing in your business and, and what I'm doing in academia and all of that. And I remember that you just kind of stunned me <laughs> after we, you know, started talking about the V Real framework and the competitive cohort. Because what did you tell me? Well, you started telling me about V Real and competitive cohort and telling me the premise of the research and the approach that you took and the, the methodology that you had developed and, and the, some of your thinking around both of those areas. And I stopped you in probably mid-sentence, probably a little rude for a Southern girl, but I stopped you in mid-sentence and said, you have to write a book or books. These are books. I remember your expression and your reaction to that because you went, what? What are you, what are you talking about? Because I just made a tangent. You were talking about your research and the methodologies, and I literally reached across the table and went, these must be books. You need to share your thinking and your approach to strategically winning in business and other areas, and, and, and it's so applicable to other areas, with the world. And, and the best way to do that is you have to write a book, and you, you have to write more than one book, <laughs> and you need to tell people, and you need to go out there and spread this message because this is amazing. I think that was probably the first time you'd ever realized where this could go. It really was probably the first time that I had had anybody so directly <laughs> and so convincingly you know, tell me that there was something here other than what I thought it was, which is, you know, a good tool for me in the classroom or when I consult with companies yeah. or something like that. Really the first time that somebody said, no, that could be bigger. It just struck me from the moment you started describing V-Real and competitive cohorts, the moment you started describing that, it just struck me like a lightning bolt that said, this is powerful. And as I've joked to you many times, which is really not a joke, but I have read everything that's out there. I have read it. I've studied it. I have practiced it. I've tried to apply different methodologies and different ways of thinking about strategy and about growing my business and doing these various things to improve what I'm doing and what others are doing and bring that kind of thinking to our clients. And once you started talking about V-Real, I knew it was more powerful than anything I had ever seen. Truthfully, it was just needed to be told. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> you know, it has led to a very interesting adventure, you know, getting this first book done and, and now beginning to do these podcasts and all. And it's a lot of fun. And it's kind of your fault. <laughs> yes. I'll take blame because it's. I'm so excited about you sharing your thinking and this idea that you have created and developed and applied in small doses in, and in the classroom to a much broader audience. It will touch lives. 
it will impact people around the world. People will be impacted in a positive way because it will change organizations. I just believe that. I just know it for you. And I'm so really pleased that you continue to talk to me, even though during the process, as I, you were kind of contemplating about, could this be a book? If it were a book, how would I approach it? And that I kept prodding you and and kept saying, have you done this? Have you done that? Where are you? Have you written anything? Have you put your outline together? Have you put your thoughts here? And, and it, I was just poke, 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 poke. <laughs> and I was so happy that you didn't bite and you didn't, <laughs> you kept talking to me <laughs> that, and pursued this and, and really gelled around the idea. And I am thrilled and can't wait for you to share your message and your ideas and methodology with the world. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that you kept gently prodding me and poking <laughs> me to get this first book done. Although sometimes it wasn't so gentle. So. <laughs> well, you know, it was, it was necessary. Yeah, it was, well, I, I'm too busy. No, that's an excuse. Let's come find a way around this. And, and I, I think, you know, I'm just excited that you continue to think about it and develop the ideas, and then pursued this, I cannot wait until I hold that book in my hand. I just can't wait. And I hope I get an autographed copy. Oh, yes, of course. Okay, so that's kind of the story of, of how the book got started. We have talked about V-Real over the years. I have done some sort of one-on-one -on -one consulting with you at times using this. And, and I'm very interested for you to tell whoever is listening how you have use this, what it has done, and why you think it's such a, a useful thing for so many people. Sure. So a little backstory, as we started talking in, in about you should write, you should put all this down and it should be a book. And as it started to manifest into, this should be a book, I asked if you would take me through the methodology. I'd like to experience it firsthand. And even though we had spoken about it and talked about it pretty in depth by that time, and you came in and did one-on-one -on -one consulting with my marketing strategy firm and took me through the thinking of V-Real. I think when I reflect back on that particular conversation, several things struck me about the process, the approach, the thinking, the methodology. And that was... One, unlike anything else I had ever experienced in terms of thinking about my business. And two, it really honed in on what obstacles were in place to, or that existed, the obstacles that existed that were preventing me from achieving the goals I wanted to achieve. And I remember that day really well because I remember seeing that happen and it was, it was really obvious when it happened. It absolutely was and it wasn't the first time that I had thought about my business. It wasn't the first time that I had tried to apply an approach or a, a methodology about strate uh, strategic thinking to my organization but it was like a light bulb went off. At that moment you recognized what was happening and I did too. I was amazed at how quickly you were able to, and and we were able together as in, during the conversation, hone in on some of the major obstacles, what stood in the way, 
and then what needed to be done to remove those. And it was pretty clear when I started talking about what we do for our clients and the kind of strategic marketing that we do for professional service firms and specifically, you know, in the accounting world and engineering world and consulting world, that value, the addition of value or the creation of value was not the issue. It, it was pretty clear. It was very clear that our approach and what we had to offer created that value for our clients and had the propensity to do so. And that we had a certain expertise and capability that others did not and the kind of experience that others did not have in not only the industry experience, but just having worked with more than 300 firms. That was something that put us in a position where we could do things that others just couldn't. Yeah, it was pretty match. Yeah, it was pretty clear that you have some very strong distinctive competency going on for your organization where you've got good value creation and you've got these rare qualities about that value creation. And then <laughs> And then we got into the eroding and enabling factors. And you know, it, there weren't too many of the eroding factors that we had identified. One or two small things that were relatively easily overcome and and addressed and taken into consideration. But it was really the enabling factors that stopped our conversation at one point in time while it hit us. And it hit me like a ton of bricks where this is what's happening and this is why we were experiencing growth rates and then like hitting a brick wall, like hitting a glass ceiling. It was massive amounts of growth, and then we would mark time. And it wasn't about our thinking. It wasn't about our service, our services. It wasn't that we were getting behind the times. It was me. Yeah, that can be a hard realization sometimes. Yes. And we've talked since then about How much of a common issue is this where an entrepreneur who is good at or who has a particular area of expertise starts a business because they are really good at what they do? And then comes the growth challenge. How do you grow beyond a solid nucleus that happens to be the founder? Founder with a particular type of knowledge, a particular type of approach, a particular type of rarity that, in a good way, others can't duplicate. But the challenge is you yourself can't duplicate that. Yeah, it does become an issue in that kind of a situation with that kind of value creation. It does very often in entrepreneurial firms become an issue of how to put the right enablers around Mm -hmm. so that you can... You know, if you want to use a, a trendy term, how can you scale? You right. Know, how can you grow beyond just that capability that you have as the founder? Yes, it is difficult. And how's it been going? So, you know, I really thought about that a long time and really contemplated about which direction did I want to go? Because we talked about different ideas, one approach that could have been easily implemented was scale back and let it be you. Do your own thing, bring your expertise out, forget all the other stuff and just do this. And it's a it was a very reasonable way of thinking. 
could be implemented. And just to you know, put in a side comment here, if you're satisfied with that as a mm-hmm. founder in an organization, then that's fine. Right. And it, but it wasn't quite what I wanted to do. <laughs> no. <laughs> and and I know you you chuckle because you know me well, and and I'm always pushing the envelope, and I'm I'm always looking for new ways to expand, create new absolutely. value. Yeah, embrace the changes in the world around you. Perpetual learning. Just in a, some people I think would call it in a perpetual state of change, but a perpetual state of change in a good way, in that the world around us as we know it is changing. The way we do business changes is changing and has changed dramatically. We see the adoption of technology and the use of that technology into how we do business having a massive impact on organizations across the globe. And so our accounting firm clients are saying, what, how will artificial intelligence impact our services, how we deliver our services, the value of our services, and all of those things? And I find that fascinating. Thinking about change and helping organizations change, fascinating. I know they need a lot of help in, in going down that path. And so the thought of really scaling back and it just being me was really not where I envisioned. It ended up not to be what I wanted to do in conjunction with my own personal goals, but a very viable option. You know, it was something we had to, I think, consider during our conversation because it was viable. But the, the other area, if you remember, that we talked about was how do I structure the organization so that I can go do what I'm very good at and spend my time doing these things that I enjoy and that energize me without accelerating or without adding to or, or creating more stress for the myself and the organization. Yeah, you, you don't want to put in place something that is going to wind up being an eroding factor on your right. ability to create value. And stay rare, yeah. Right. We had a conversation about how certain certain approaches would do just that. It would create kind of a loop, and it would loop around. It would seem like it would be solving an enabling factor, but it would actually create an eroding. And that was the first time where I really had what I thought was complete thinking around what the strategy should be. So I've reorganized my business, number one, and started looking for, is there a way to find another me that has this similar kind of expertise, similar kind of approach, or similar thinking in terms of how you approach challenges with clients and how you get them? Because what we do from a marketing perspective for our clients is a lot of change management. It is. We are asking them to change the way they think about their organizations. They think about their brand. They market themselves the messages they deliver. We're asking them to change their cultures in some ways, in, in many instances, asking them to change and modify their environment. And there's a lot of change management practices that must be applied in that. You know, so far, I think I have had somewhat limited in terms of success in moving down that path. And what I've found is the people who are really like me want to be entrepreneurs. They want to be in charge. Yeah. We know that's not going to work. We know 
finding someone that has my exact way of thinking or are very, very similar also brings with it a certain type of personality that where they want to have their name on the door. And what I've done to date is it's actually two people. So looking at the skill sets of my organization and saying, what do I really do best? and What do I want to do? Which is I'm ideas driven. I want to talk to clients. I want to brainstorm with them. I want to see and uncover, peel back the layers of what's happening within their organizations and how they better compete in the competitive worlds in, in which they live. Then I need people who are and have people who have an extensive amount of digital experience, as well as professional services marketing experience, coupled with process-driven, detail-oriented capabilities. And so you've wound up trying to create a team. Yes. And, and stopped really looking for, it has to be one person that has all of these characteristics, and said, wait a minute, we can segment out and get people who have particular areas of expertise and who are really, really good at certain things, like keeping things organized and nailing the details and putting processes and infrastructure into place to meet the deadlines and to achieve efficiencies and effectiveness within the organization and please clients, deliver, continue to deliver value while also adding particular marketing and technical expertise that allows us to keep pushing the envelope for our clients and and keep up with this changing world, particularly the digital marketing world. I I think that's really interesting that, you know, you eventually came to the conclusion, you know, I'm not going to find another me, so I'm not going to try. I am going to assemble a team. And of course, there's a little bit of trial and error with that. Um, But I think, you know, based on our conversations, which of course we can't reproduce here because we don't have enough time. But, you know, I I think this is is a bit of a trial and error process, you know, where you have to find the right fit. You have to find out if the person that you think has these skills Mm -hmm. and qualities really do. But I I am encouraged, you know, you, you mentioned that you've got two key people right at this point. And having met both of them and interacted with them, I think that could be a nucleus of a very strong team that you can continue to add people to over time. And it's really playing to their strengths and to their personalities. And, and I do think that when you have a smaller organization, just small number of people, and, and particularly in our industry where it's so easy and actually more effective and efficient to outsource many things, particularly, for example, the programming. There really isn't a strong reason to have programmers on staff when I have strategic alliances that we've built who can deliver particular areas of expertise when needed. So we're not forcing our clients into a solution. So we can continue. It comes back, as I said, you're thinking what VREL does is helps you come back to almost in a circular manner to think about would this structure, would these changes, would this approach continue to create value for our clients? Mm -hmm. And certain areas where we outsource and through these strategic alliances have enabled us to do that. It is a really strong structure. But the core team, I think, has been a process of trial and error. 
Very much so. That's the nature of business. Right. You know, sometimes we can, and we should, have very clear plans and prioritize goals and all of that, which I hope V Real helps people to get to. But yes, it is a trial and error. You know, you, you never know exactly what the world is going to throw at you. And that is one of the reasons that when I work with people using V-Real, you know, I, I try to stress with them that this is not something that you do once. This is something that is, is continually kind of a script running in your head and fitting what you're doing in and seeing if it works and, and making sure that you stay focused on the most critical things mm-hmm. all through that process. And I think now that I'm at a point with V-Real where it's almost second nature, Sometimes in my conversations with my core team members, I'm not even aware until after the fact that I've applied the thinking, that I've applied the methodology naturally, that the discussion just naturally led in that direction, the conversation led in that direction, the approach, the outcomes went naturally in the direction that V-Real teaches you without even thinking about Oh, let me, you know, am I, where am I in the, in the process of the methodology? Yeah. You know, am I on the R or the E or the yeah. <laughs> next E or, or whatever it is? Yeah. And, and that's what I think about why I think it has, is so powerful. One of the powerful things about it is unlike some of the other approaches that I've tried to implement, where it was this process of coming back and saying, okay, what is this? And what are we supposed to be talking about here? And did we really apply that methodology? Or did we think about it this way or that way? It has a way of naturally integrating into the organization to feel very comfortable and not forced. Mm -hmm. And yet powerful, extremely powerful. Yeah, keeping you on track. Yes, but not in a way that where you feel like you're taking this square peg and pounding into a round hole going, this is what the methodology says we're supposed to do. And, and we're supposed to think about this next. And we're then we're supposed to think about that next. And no, 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 we can't skip step five yet. We're on step two. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. That is why I think it's one of the reasons I think it's so powerful for organizations is it has this natural flow to it that just goes with the conversation and the and you apply this thinking, this way of thinking. And, and as I mentioned, because of my exposure to it for several years now, where I don't even realize until after the fact, whoa, I, I applied the behavioral thinking. And that it's, it, it's a wonderful thing to, to have happen. Yeah, it just becomes natural. It does. You know, it's a way that I'm hoping to then educate my core team members, especially now that I've gotten a core that is very stable and we have figured out how to organize our structures so that they're happy utilizing their strengths and playing to their skill sets and their interests and we're not forcing someone to be something they're not. I do want to give you time here in the podcast to talk to whoever is listening and over time because we don't know, you know, how many years this might be floating out there. I want you to, to talk a little bit about Hollanden and, and what you do and, you know, how people could get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you. So tell me about Hollanden. 
Sure. So I started the firm in 1993. Out of grad school, I actually, and I think you know this, I started out doing debt and equity finance as a consultant and running a service that matched businesses with equity investors, the precursor to an angel network. So it was just equity investors and we matched up businesses with equity investors. And I was doing that for um, a large accounting firm until one day the managing partner called me in and said, I see you can talk to people and they're telling us we have to start a marketing program here. Would you like to work for me and start the marketing department? I admired him as a leader and I said, yes. I should have looked at the size of the stack of stuff that they were requiring us to do first, but I didn't. I just said yes and he handed me two fit stack of papers and went, here, go figure this out. And I did. And I knew really very little about professional services marketing, and it was very, very new. And this would have been, this was in the late 80s. And recruited from there as I I started their program and got it rolling and went through a bunch of training that the national organization had set up and then recruited away from there to join one of the, what is now one of the big four in regional marketing and then recruited again away from that organization to join another big four as their director of marketing and regional director of marketing and had the opportunity to start those programs. But what I saw at that time was that the structure of the large organizations, as so many large organizations do, move very slowly. They move a lot slower than an entrepreneurial environment. And I'm kind of an entrepreneurial environment kind of gal. That's who I am. Fast-paced. I love fast-paced. I love making decisions. And I really wanted to make a difference. And so I I felt like I wasn't making that much of a difference in those large, large organizations, even though I was having a lot of success. But I didn't always see that impact. And I wanted to see that impact. I wanted to see the lives that I was changing and impacting and organizations that I was changing. Struck out on my own. And here we are, all these many years later, worked, as I mentioned, with uh, professional service firms. That's our specialty, primarily in the accounting, finance area, engineering and consulting that kind of crosses over into some technology firms, technology-based firms. But our clients sell their thinking. Very intelligent, highly educated people. They sell their thinking, usually very complex services, complex sales longer sales cycles, things like that characterize our client base. And so, and and our services have changed over the course of years as technology has changed, but we provide strategic marketing services. So developing market positioning and strategies around their goals as an organization, a lot of which are growth goals. And some of them now, because of so many baby boomers owning or being the founders of these organizations include secession planning. So what's next? What lies ahead? How are we going to get there? Who are we going to develop? How are we going to develop them? What's our brand going to be? The brand that we developed in 1970 or, you know, does that still work? Most of the time the answer is no. Then we do the branding work for them or rebranding, remarket positioning. As I mentioned, it impacts culture. 
So how do you make this environment more attractive to the younger workers that you're bringing in, you know, aka those millennials that people talk about, even though I think baby boomers were very similar in our thinking many, many years ago when we were entering the workforce. It's just new technology. And then web, websites, you know, you have to have a web presence. Social media marketing has played a bigger role in, in what we do, as well as e-marketing. And now it's search engine optimization, search engine marketing, and the inbound marketing is the latest thing. My team and I are all certified in inbound marketing now and getting other types of certifications to accommodate this changing world and to really keep our thinking and our education at the leading edge. And in some cases, it's the bleeding edge (laughs) where, you know, it's scary to these organizations to change that much and to move beyond how they have always gotten clients and always talked about their firms. You know, it it strikes me that in these professional service firms that you work with, especially the ones where they've been established for decades, Mm -hmm. this issue of change must be very scary for them. It is. And... Some of them are embracing change because they have seen seen the light. And I think they're just that kind of person that says, this world is changing. We need to adapt. It is not up to us to, nor can we reasonably force someone else, the younger people, into working this way. And when I speak on the topic of change management... I really encourage the leadership to say, think about what's next and think about what you're asking people to do within the organization. Instead of just closing the door and saying, I don't understand them. I I don't get what they're wanting to do. Maybe their way of thinking is right. Maybe the way that so many baby boomers sacrifice so much for their organizations and their professions both personally and professionally, isn't really the way to have a life and to have the best life possible and be a professional within your area of expertise. It sounds like in a Vero perspective, you, you probably push very hard on eroding issues, the eroding issues that are going to change the world that they live right. in. And if they don't recognize that and they don't embrace that and start moving towards how to enable that change, they are going to get left behind. Absolutely. And you think about the accounting industry, for example, so many areas of the accounting industry are either the services that they provide are either backward looking. So you think about an audit. What happened the last year or what happened, you know, and and here's where this was right and this was wrong. And here's the historic perspective. Or taxes, where you say you either owe or you don't owe, and and you can take this deduction or you can't take this deduction, and, and here's what you should do or shouldn't do. And yes, that provides value from a certain perspective in that it keeps them in business because it's, it may be a regulatory requirement. Or, you know, it keeps them in some instances out of jail, the, you know, the, or the doors open because... You know, the the government doesn't get really happy if you don't pay your taxes and, you know, they don't like that. But at the same time, what is done and the shift that's happening in that industry is that as they see these changes happening in the world, the environment, the technology that's applying and, and what organizations are wanting, it has really created this shift to where 
accountants within those organizations are talking about the future to their clients. They're looking at things like value growth services. How do we add value to these? Mm-hmm. Sounds familiar. Kind yeah, of, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it? How do we add value to our clients? How do we take this to the next level? How, what are their, pro, their challenges? What are their eroding factors? What are their enabling factors? Then how do we help them achieve the longevity that they want to achieve? What's next for this organization? But thinking about it from that perspective versus log onto our website and upload all the tax documents that you have for us this year, and we're going to tell you this historic perspective of what's happened and what you owe or what you get back. It's a very different mindset, and it's a different way of communicating to their clients. But the beauty of that is it has enabled them, those organizations, to be seen in a different light in the eyes of their clients, where they're talking to them about their future plans and their vision for their organizations, and they're having more in-depth conversations that at the in the end are more valuable because this is a not a look back but a look forward. Yeah. It's amazing how if you start looking forward and thinking about those eroding and enabling issues, you wind up actually figuring out how to create more value in the process. Isn't it? Yeah. Firms that are embracing that concept are doing extremely well. You can see it in their growth levels. You can see it in their are their growth rates. You can see it in their ability to recruit. You know, those, that's an, a, another ch- big challenge for almost all of our clients is recruiting, getting enough people, and it's highly competitive. Puts the small to mid-sized firms at a big disadvantage unless they make changes, unless they think about their organizations in a different perspective. And that's what's so exciting. And, and again, what I find so exciting about learning V-Real, not only experiencing it for my organization, but learning the concepts so that I can then apply that thinking and bring it to our clients and help them really see the future in a different way. Okay. So if people listening to this podcast are thinking, I want Hollandon <laughs> because Hollandon is going to be able to do things for me that others can't, how do people get in touch with you? Certainly. So the name of our firm is Hollanden Marketers and Strategists and our website, www.hollanden.com. It's H-O-L-L-I-N-D-E-N.com. And we're located in Houston, Texas. And uh, our phone number is 713-520-5532. But of course, you do work nationally. Absolutely. Yes, we have clients from one coast to the other and just loving every minute of it. Good. Well, thank you for being here and being a podcast guest for Thinking Beyond. This definitely was a conversation with a strategic thinker, in case there was any doubt. Is there anything remaining that you would just like the people listening to know? I would just like to say, look for the book. What I've had the privilege to give feedback on, and I was one of those that was very honored to have been asked to read the drafts and provide feedback on, it was everything that I thought it could be and more. And I think, as I said at the beginning, I really think this is going to change the world. It's going to impact lives that I'm not sure you even realize. 
And I cannot wait until that book is printed and out there and available for all to see. I think it's an, a methodology that, is, as I mentioned, is, is easy to apply, not simplistic from an, when I say easy, but you didn't try to overcomplicate it just for the sake of making things complicated. And that's what I think is, is the beauty of the methodology, that you can think through it. Leaders, the most educated leaders within organizations will be able to think through this and really get a lot of depth out of it. But I think it's also something that they can share with all levels of their organizations and also apply in many different areas. I think they can, this thinking, the V-Real can be applied to individuals' lives as well, their families, nonprofit organizations, professional organizations, manufacturing firms. It doesn't matter what industry they're in or what market they're in. I just see this being able to be applied to many different organizations, wherever they're located and whatever size they are, from startups to organizations that have been around for centuries. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for the the endorsement and the encouragement and, you know, poking me a little bit from time to time. Every (laughs) once in a while. (laughs) Encouraging you. I hope the pokes were seen as encouragement that um, my enthusiasm about the concept has, has never waned. Not one second. Well, thank you. All right. Well, it's been great having you here. So once again, you know, if anybody is wanting to contact you, they they know where to find you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. All right. Well, that was a great conversation. That was a good conversation. And not just because Christine was so flattering about Be Real, which... I kind of blushed while she did that, but there are some really interesting takeaways from that conversation. There really were. And, you know, we we asked our listeners when we started this this podcast to kind of listen in and see if anything sounded familiar, because you and I both worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and it's really common for entrepreneurs to start a business as an individual based on a core set of capabilities, strengths, talents, and then realize they want to grow a business and struggle with what Christine struggled with. Yeah, I remember that day talking with Christine and watching her begin to come to that realization that she needed to decide what kind of a business she really wanted to have. And it's perfectly okay if you're successful, you're creating value, you've got your distinctive competencies out there in the marketplace, and you say, okay, I'm happy with this. Um, You know, that's okay. Uh, Of course, I still would recommend that you be thinking about eroding factors and and all of the rest of V-Real, but but she wasn't going to be okay with that. You know, she, she doesn't have that kind of personality. She wants to be able to create new value. She wants to grow. She wants to think about how to take advantage of this very dynamic world that we live in. And so I'm glad that she kind of had that moment of self-revelation that led her to think, okay, so what do I need to do? I think that that is an incredibly valuable outcome of going through the framework and thinking about V-Real. It's self-reflective. And 
I think when entrepreneurs and small businesses, even executives, get into the daily grind of operating and doing, self-reflection suffers. Mm -hmm. And you can wake up one day and find yourself doing something that you never intended or wanted to do because you thought, well, I'm supposed to grow. I'm supposed to be bigger. I'm supposed to be doing this or that. And and maybe it's not your personality. It's not what you want. It's not the lifestyle. And so when you think about those, those enablers and you think about eroding factors, I think it forces that conversation or that thought process of, can I sustain this? Do I have the energy level? Do I have the passion? Do I have the interest? Or am I really happy working alone? or largely alone. A lot of people, that's that's great. That's a great way to create value. So I really appreciated hearing Christine talk about that and acknowledge, no, she wanted to go this way. In no way does that mean everybody should go that way. And the process, I think, can help people think, think that through and come to their own conclusions. And then, of course, she talked about how she's been trying to enable the ability to create new value and to grow the company and and form that that team of people that will allow the company and her to do what she wants to do. And it's been tough, you know, and I, I think that came across, you know, it's been tough to, to find the right combination and it is a trial and error process. And the other aspect of that is when she is thinking about the enabling issues and the eroding issues, she is potentially discovering new ways to create value. And she is potentially discovering new directions to go. I thought that was a really interesting outcome of this discussion and perhaps not even something you and I have talked about before as an outcome of using the framework. We're thinking about obviously value creation and rareness and how to protect against erosion and enable the business model or ideas that that the entrepreneur has in mind and do that over time, over the long run through thoughts about longevity. But it was a fresh idea today that Christine brought out when she said, I'm thinking this way now with my clients and I'm helping them to think through how they're creating value and how they'll continue to do that over the long run. And that that's evidence of the value of the framework, I think, but also a testament to Christine and how she's truly integrating this into her way of doing business and helping her clients do business. Mm-hmm. Even if she doesn't explicitly tell them that's what she's doing. Yeah, the script runs in your head. <laughs> it does. It's a sneaky little thing. It gets in there, and then before you know it, you're just talking value and rareness, and people are looking at you funny. I also think it's it's important to, again, highlight the fact that this is not a linear process as such. Even though the acronym is kind of linear in nature, you know, we read left to right or whatever, but, but all these things roll up together. They do. I, I I think it's it's worth repeating something that you said today and and that the process of thinking about those enabling factors and eroding factors it circles back to value and rareness and it really does help you discover new ways to create value and new ways to be rare and it's it is circular and it kind of works back and it's Maybe it's cyclical, but in any case, those are the things you need to think about. And VRIL just helps you sort of remember what they are, right? It's a it's an acronym of sorts. There is a process to it, but it is you do go back and and you just allow it to kind of process in your mind. And it builds on itself. 
you know, it, it just loops back and builds on itself. As we wrap up this particular episode of Thinking Beyond, we'll just leave you with that thought. How are you going to use V-Real? How are you going to let it work in the background? And what no, new ideas might it bring forth for value and rareness and how you're really contributing to the world with, with whatever do you, it is you have to offer? And then, of course, making sure that you're considering those those enablers and those eroding factors. Another good conversation today. Glad we had it. And that was definitely a conversation with a strategic thinker. Absolutely. So if you want to learn more, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Dr. David Flint, and on Facebook, Dr. David Flint. And the website is, of course, drdavidflint.com. So until the next podcast, keep on thinking, everybody.